Uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us to worship, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Uh, we really do hope if you're visiting us in any way, whether in person or online, that you'll see Westminster as uh, a home away from home, a place where you can come and be uh, connected with the body of Christ, with, with connected with people who have uh, faith in Jesus, and that you would grow in your love and faith in him too. We are continuing our series that we've entitled Freedom. Last week, we talked about how Jesus frees us from the penalty of the law, which is death, that how he frees us to be able to uh, know the, the power of sin is broken over us and that he frees us to practice what is right rather than practice what is wrong. Today we're going to be looking at a little bit different angle about freedom, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul's second letter, according to the scriptures, uh, to the church in Corinth. And as he writes to them, they're still having problems. If you remember from, for those of you who were here during the um, I Want to Know What Love Is series, I often said that their the church in Corinth was really messed up. And that's still the case when Paul writes this letter. And in this case, they are doubting some of his ministry. They are doubting. They have some doubts about the, the status of his apostleship. And so Paul's trying to walk a fine line here between saying, hey, my apostleship really matters, but also trying to uplift Christ. And I hope you'll see some of that in this passage. But again, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to the church then and to the church today. And here's what this passage says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of the glory, which was bring, brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, 
The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we admit this passage is dense, it is layered, it is full of references that we may or may not understand, There is a lot going on here, and it is easy for us to see the seed being thrown out and it being swept up by the evil one because we don't understand. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, minds that can understand, and hearts that will receive so that we will grasp what is being said here that we will believe it and we will put it into practice for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for our good and for the good of people around us, that you truly would be praised by our lives and our lives would reflect more of your goodness. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For some reason, it occurred to me just this week uh, that this is my 18th year of ministry as a pastor. Uh, Maybe it's because I saw in the paper how uh, Marion Newton has 41 years as pastor. He's got a little bit on me. Uh, So I don't have his experience and I don't have his wisdom, but I do think there's at least a few things that I've learned about people over the last 18 years. And one of the things that I've discovered is whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, people get weird. I don't know what it is, but when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, people say the craziest things. People do the craziest things. People tend to believe the craziest things about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be honest, 
when I started preparing this sermon, I was like, ah, I really need to take some more time to talk about the Holy Spirit because I, I see so much confusion in the church, not out there, in the church, about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. For some of us, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the first word that might come to our mind, and I know this is going to be shocking to some of you, is fear. Now, we may not actually say that out loud, but think about it. We talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling with his people. We talk about the Holy Spirit moving mysteriously among us. Sometimes people will say things like, you ought to let the Spirit control you. That you ought to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Right? And so... For people like me and for people like you who live in a society where we are very independent and we like our control to hear that someone might be controlling us or we need to surrender to someone, that does not make us happy. Just being honest. Multiply that by how sometimes, in more medieval times, we named the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And fear becomes even more of a thing because people are afraid of ghosts. So when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, the one word that I don't think that pops into our mind immediately is freedom. Fear, maybe. Control, maybe. Fruit, maybe. But not freedom. But I will say, this passage runs against the grain of the way we think. And, and, and today, and hopefully a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be looking at this same passage to talk about the fact that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is what we're going to be talking about today and two weeks from now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we need to understand this. We need to grasp this. We need to understand it and live it out. And I am not just making words up. You heard me say this from verse 17. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I, I'm sticking close to the text there. Not making stuff up, just saying exactly what is right there in the text. So how does Paul get there? Well, it's a little bit of a maze. It's a, middle, a little bit of a journey to get there. He starts off in this passage in verse 1 saying to the church in Corinth, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Now, I've already mentioned the church in Corinth, they're sitting there thinking, Hey, Paul, I don't know if I really agree with your apostleship. 
I don't really know if I should submit to your apostleship. I'm not really sure that you in your ministry is as valid as some of these other people. And so Paul's saying, look, do we need to send a letter of recommendation to you? Or do we need one from you? And then in verse 2 he says, look, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. In other words, he's saying, the very fact that I have ministered among you, and you believe in Jesus, and you are bearing some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, even if it's still kind of hidden in some ways, you're still having some evidence of the Holy Spirit being with you, that shows that you really do belong to Jesus, and that my ministry really is valid among you. The Spirit is at work in me to be at work in you. And then in verse 3, he says it even stronger, and you show that you are a letter, a recommendation letter, so to speak, from Christ. Christ is the one who's really at work in you, not me, Jesus, the one you believe in, he's the one who's at work in you. And Christ, this letter from Christ, is delivered by us. We're just messengers. Written, and this letter is written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Christ is writing on you what he wants in your lives by the Holy Spirit. And it's not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. And it's that setup that the rest of the chapter has. Because you see, he's making a contrast. Because what does tablets of stone make you think of? The Ten Commandments, right? The law. And so he's saying, this is not the work of the law. This is the work of the Spirit. And the rest of this chapter is a contrast between the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Spirit. Okay? Now, Brevard Childs says about this passage, the difficulties of understanding 2 Corinthians 3 are so many that one hesitates to enter the arena. <laughs> and I can attest to that. I've spent all week like pouring over this passage over and over and over again, trying to really understand what are you saying here, Holy Spirit? What are you saying, Paul? And I really do believe that when you get down to the bottom level, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, is not a throwaway sentence. It really is part of the culmination of what Paul is arguing in this passage. If you really want to know freedom, not only do you need to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work to produce that freedom. And where he is, there will be freedom. And we need to understand that. So, what does this mean? What kind of freedom does the Holy Spirit give us? And this is why we're splitting this sermon into two, because I didn't want you to be here until 5 p.m. this afternoon. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at one part of what freedom the Holy Spirit gives us, and then a couple of weeks from now we're going to look at it again to be able to see what kind of freedom the Holy Spirit gives us from another angle. Today's focus is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us is this kind of freedom. 
The Spirit gives freedom from the law as law. The Spirit gives freedom from the law as law. For some of us in this room, that might make you squirm a little bit. Wait, the Holy Spirit gives us freedom from the law? I didn't say that. What I said was, the Spirit gives us freedom from the law as law. And I'm going to explain that a little bit. But in order to understand that, let's back up a little bit from this passage, all right? Because this is a complicated, difficult issue. And I'm going to try to put it on as low of a shelf as I can for all of us to be able to understand. I'm hoping that you will be able to walk out here today understanding the difference between the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Spirit. Part of what Paul is getting at is what is the purpose of the law? Now, there are more than one purpose, but in one way, why does the law exist? And he actually answers that question in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Let's stop there. Time out. There are ways in which people use even the law of God, which is holy and right and good, and they use it in ways that are unlawful, that they are not good, okay? And that's what he's trying to set up. And then he says, okay, well, how do we use the law lawfully? And he says in verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, for the righteous, for people who do it right all the time, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. In other words, people who always do the right things don't need law. If you're already doing it, why do you need the rules? The rules are there for those who are prone to break them. Not for people who are already keeping the rules. I mean, think about it. I do not need a law to tell me to eat. No one has to come up to me today. When we go down the hall to the fellowship meal, and there's all this, this bounty of food just out there on the tables, and everybody's eating, and I smell it, and I see it, and I'm thinking, nah, I'm not going to eat. Nobody has to come up to me and say, Stuart, thou shalt eat. Nobody's going to have to do that. Why? Because I'm going to do what I was designed to do in that regard. I'm going to eat. Now, somebody might need to tell me, Stuart, thou shalt not eat too much. That's a different sermon. I don't need a law to tell me what I'm already going to do anyway. And Christian, non-Christian, whoever you are today, wherever you are, listen, people don't need the law if they're already obeying it. We need the law to tell us how we've messed up, or how we are messing up. Okay? 
So, in this passage, we see that Paul is talking about the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Spirit. And he, the Spirit frees us from the law as law. So what do I mean by that phrase? Here's what I mean. The law as law can be summarized this way. As meet the demand or else face the penalty. Meet the demand or else face the penalty. Now, I think, I think we all understand this. For any law, there is at least two parts. There are at least two parts. There is demand, thou shalt do this, or thou shalt not do that, right? That's the demand part. And then there's a penalty. The demand says, do this or don't do that. And if we meet that demand, of course, we, everything's good. Everything's great. But when we fail to meet the demand, there is a penalty. Illustration. Let's say you're driving down the street and you see a sign that says speed limit, 55 miles per hour. And you look at that sign and in the immortal words of Sammy Hagar, you say, I can't drive 55. It's too slow. So you put the pedal to the metal and you speeding down the road, guess what you've just done? You have heard the demand of a law and now you might have to face the penalty. You might look in your rearview mirror and see those blue lights. And when they pull you over, he may give you a ticket. And if you get enough tickets, you may lose your license. And if you lose your license and you drive anyway, you can be put in jail. Right? So there are laws that have demand and penalty. And when we break the law, there is a penalty. That's just how law works. God has given us his law, his commands. And it's good. They're good commands. Those commands have a demand. And let's face it, every single one of us in this room and every single person you know has not met the demand of God's law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's a penalty. And what is that penalty according to the scriptures? Well, Romans 6.23, we talked about this last week. We'll say it again this week. For the wages of sin is death. Here's the demand. Have you lived up to it? No. Then what is left is the penalty, death. Physical death, spiritual death. That is the setup for what Paul is trying to address in this passage. Okay, are you all following me? Like, nod your head if you're following me. Okay, you got where I am so far. Okay, great. So Paul says in verse 5, 
Our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. That's the language of Jesus. That's the language of also Jeremiah, but we'll get to that in a minute. Not of the letter, that is, of the laws that were written on those tablets of stone, but of the Spirit. For the letter, what's the word there? Kills. But the Spirit gives life. How many of us, and and I've given this illustration before, but it, it just bears repeating when we see that sign that says keep off the grass and we had no desire to walk on the grass at all until we see that sign and then suddenly we have this great urge oh I want to put my foot on that grass so bad that is what the law does it brings out the sin that's in our lives. It shows us. It's already there. We just may not be aware of it. And when the law comes, we go, I don't want to do that. That's sin. I don't want to do what God tells us to do. And the letter kills us. But the Spirit gives life. In verse 7, he calls the ministry of the law the ministry of death carved in letters of stone. And in verse 9, he calls the law, the ministry of the law, the ministry of condemnation. Why? Because the law, as law, all it can do is condemn sinners. It can't do anything else. You following me? It can't do anything else. All the law can do, as law, is say, here's the demand, Here's the penalty. Have you met the demand? No? Here's the penalty. That's it. That's all the law as law can do. But here's the good news. And I want you to hear this, maybe with fresh ears. For those of you who have heard it before, and for those of you who have never heard this, I am about to open up something, well, God is about to open up something from the Scriptures that is good news indeed. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Right? If you die, no, and, and they, then they find out that you broke the law, nobody is going to dig up your body and put you on trial. Once you're dead, that's it. The law no longer serves as law to you. You're dead to it. Verse 4 of Romans 7, hear the good news. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, 
that sign that says keep off the grass arouse that sinful passion in us that we wanted to do something that the law says not to, right? For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, those of us who believe, we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross and he took the penalty of our sin, we died, we who believe, we died with him. And because we are now dead and now made alive through his resurrection, the old way of the law, the letter of the law, demand penalty no longer has a hold on us. We are dead to that law. And there is no longer demand and penalty. I don't know about you, but that is freedom. I cannot tell you how many times I have tried to live my life by the shoulds. Stuart, you should do this. Stuart, you should be that. Stuart, you should not do this or that. And you know what kind of life that led me to? Despair. Depression. Feeling like I am powerless to do anything right, anything good. And the law just keeps coming and coming saying, here's the demand. Oh, you haven't lived up to it? Here's the penalty. But the good news of Jesus is that we have died to the law as law. It no longer has that demand and penalty hold over us. We are free in the Holy Spirit from that demand and penalty. And some of you are rejoicing in your seats. And some of you are saying, but wait a second, Stuart. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying we're free from the law? We're supposed to obey the law, Stuart. We're supposed to obey the law. You haven't said anything about us obeying the law. Don't you know we're supposed to obey the law? And I want you to hear this as a pastor who loves you. Yes, we are to obey the law. But the fact that that is your first reaction shows that you have a legal spirit. And Christ came to kill that legal spirit. Don't believe me? Believe the scriptures, first of all. But believe a Puritan writer whose name was John Cahoon, who wrote a treatise on law and gospel. And he's not the only one who said this. I just picked this because it was very clear in what he was saying. 
Here's what he says. When a man is driven to acts of obedience by the dread of God's wrath revealed in the law. In other words, I hear the demand and I see that there's a penalty and I'm afraid of God and so I'm going to obey out of fear. And he's not drawn to these acts of obedience by the belief of his love revealed in the gospel. When he fears God because of his power and justice and not because of his goodness. When he regards God more as an avenging judge than as a compassionate friend and father. When he contemplates God rather as terrible in majesty than as infinite in grace and mercy. Remember what Paul told us? Not Paul the Apostle, but Paul the staff member here. Remember what he told us at the very beginning? The people, they made, a, they made a golden calf and God reveals His glory by saying, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, gracious and compassionate, merciful. Won't let sin go unpunished, yes. But we start with gracious, compassionate, loving, Merciful. Whenever someone does any of those things, he shows that he is under the dominion or at least under the prevalence of a legal spirit. Is there any of us who are under the prevalence of or the power of or the dominion of a legal spirit. The very first thing that we hear when we hear the free grace of God offered in the gospel of Jesus is we say, but what about? That is a legal spirit and Jesus came to kill that thing. That is what Pharisees do, not followers of Christ. Now, (laughs) you might be saying, okay, well, Stuart, help us. Help us here, because I know we're not free from the law, period. We might be free from the law as law, demand, and penalty, but how are we still to obey the law? Instead of relating to the law as law, the Spirit gives us freedom to relate to the law as a coach, guiding and training us. Let me say that again. Instead of relating to the law as law, the Spirit gives us freedom to relate to the law as a coach, guiding and training us. Think about it this way. If you're a football player, You're on a football team that actually plays games with a referee and you have a coach. The referee doesn't really know you, probably. He's just a hired hand coming in to say, these are the rules of the game and I'm going to make sure every one of you lives by those rules. He is the law enforcer. 
right? He's focused on the rules of the game, and he's watching out to make sure that everybody plays by those rules. And if there's one person who doesn't abide by the rules, I can't do the whistle. He blows the whistle, he throws the flag, and he says, here's the penalty, right? That's law as law. Contrast that with how a coach deals with his player. A good coach cares about the rules of the game, yes. And he wants to make sure that the player stays within the bounds of those rules, yes. But a good coach also cares about the player. The referee doesn't really care about how the player performs other than demand and penalty. The coach cares how you perform on the field. And he wants you to be the best you can be. He knows you. There's a relationship there. He cares about you. And the coach spends time training you, giving you guidance. He sees what you do out on the field, and he brings you in, and he says, hey, 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 okay, so when you did that, that wasn't good. Here's what you need to do next time. But he's, it's not a penalty, right? It's encouragement to do the right thing so that he can be better at what he's supposed to do. And yes, there are times, if I'm going to take the analogy all the way, yes, there are times when the coach says, hey, that was wrong, come and sit on the bench. That is still not a penalty. That is the coach saying, you are out of control. You need some time to get back into the game the right way. It's for your good and for the team's good. It's not meant to be a penalization. It is meant to be a timeout. Let's think about where you are. Let's think about how you need to do the next step in the game, and then I can put you back in. But until then, you're going to stay on the bench with me. Right? The referee doesn't stay on the bench with the person he gives the penalty to, but the coach does. Right? Rules are important, to play the game. But there's much more than the rules. The referee is a law enforcer. The coach is a law encourager. The referee imposes the rules. The coach inspires the player to play by the rules. The referee holds up demand and penalty of the rule while the coach helps develop the progress of the player. You hear the difference? The Holy Spirit has freed you from law as law, law as referee, and has now made your relationship with the law as law as coach to guide you, to train you, to help you. Because there's no more penalty because Jesus took that penalty at the cross. You hear it? You hear the good news? And that's why we can say with the psalmist from Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I will keep from being punished. I will keep from getting the penalty. No, I don't want to sin against you. 
And here's what's even better. And Paul alludes to this in this passage from in 2 Corinthians 3. It's from Jeremiah 31, 33. Listen to these beautiful words that are fulfilled in Jesus. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. That's not law as law. That's law as coach. That's not law without relationship. That's law within relationship. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And if that hasn't encouraged you, if that hasn't like lit a fire in you, if that hasn't done anything else, hear this. Since the Spirit resides in those who believe, we have this freedom. The freedom I just talked about. The freedom from the law as the law, but the freedom to live under the law as a law as coach If you are a believer, that freedom is yours. How do I know that? Verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And where is the Holy Spirit today? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, He lives in people who believe in Jesus. He is within you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from the law as law. Freedom from the demand and penalty. Freedom to see the law as something that helps you, not hinders you, not beats you down, but builds you up. Freedom to be what God called you to be in the first place when He created you in His image, to reflect His goodness, to reflect His glory. That is the freedom the Spirit gives us. And that is the freedom that every one of us who believe has. Can I hear an amen? So, your action point. And I got two actually today. For those who believe, we'll start with you. By the work of the Spirit, see God's law as a coach training us in what it means to be more like Jesus. Stop seeing the law as something that only condemns your sin and condemns you. The law doesn't condemn you anymore. You know why? Because you're dead to it. All the law does now for you is say, hey, you didn't do that right. Let's try that again. This time, do it this way. This time, try this. That's the way those of us who believe need to hold on to the the law as a guide, as a coach not as a referee. But I know that there's some of you who are here today in this room and probably some people who are watching online. You don't believe this. You don't believe in Jesus. And I want you to hear this from somebody who cares. For those of you who don't believe, 
by the work of the Spirit, turn to Christ, who will free you from the law as law. Have you felt the burden, unbeliever, of trying to live the law out in your life? Trying to do everything that you're supposed to do and falling flat on your face time and time and time again. Feeling the condemnation. Feeling the death growing in you because you are unable to live by the demand of God's law. You're not alone. Every single one of us in this room is in that boat. The only difference between those who believe and those who don't is Jesus. We believed in Jesus. We've turned to Him and say, the law is killing me. Free me from the penalty of the law. Free me from the bondage of the law and allow me to see the law as something that helps me, not crushes me. And if you do not believe in Jesus, you're being crushed by the law. You may not feel it right now, but you are. There's only one hope. Jesus. By taking your sin upon Himself, taking the penalty, taking the power, and even taking the practice of your sin upon Himself at the cross, He sets you free and He gives you the Spirit so that where the Spirit is, there is freedom, and that freedom can be yours if you believe today. And I hope that you will. Let's find true freedom. Let's find true freedom in Christ. Whether you're a believer or not, let's find true freedom in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, where you reside, there is true freedom, and we long for that freedom. Freedom from the shoulds. Freedom from the crushing weight of a law that we cannot obey. And to change our relationship with the law to be a friend, a mentor, a guide, a coach. And you do that in and through the work of Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead to make us right with our God. Holy Spirit, work in each one of us, wherever we are, whatever's going on in our hearts and minds today, believer or unbeliever, that we will look to Jesus and we will experience the true freedom that is in Him, the true freedom that you produce in us, and then we will live as people who are truly free. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.